This is, uh, Dr. Stephen Reichbeck, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Glad to be here. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Great, great. So, uh, yeah, we spoke a while back, and uh, I remember you're you're an anesthesiologist by training, and and you've been working with ketamine for at least three decades. Is that right? About thirty That's years. Correct. Yeah, been working with it for about three decades, and we've been specifically um, treating patients for the last eight years in our clinic here uh, with ketamine, intravenous ketamine to treat certain mood disorders and also certain chronic neuropathic pain syndromes. Yeah, you know, the one thing I've been hearing a lot about lately is how, and I know it's effective for a lot of things, especially treatment-resistant depression, where antidepressants don't work, but I, I, and I know it works for a lot of different things, but I've been hearing great things about ketamine for OCD, for obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes. And, um, you know, just patients, yeah, patients are coming out of, of treatment just saying that the, the symptoms are gone. They're just they're just not getting those uh, in, intrusive, invasive thoughts and, and repetitive actions and thoughts. Absolutely. There have been some small studies that have been done um, using ketamine, relatively low doses, sub-anesthetic doses to treat patients with, uh, with OCD. And the, um, the results and the responses have been really, really impressive. I can tell you um, anecdotally through our, from our practice, you know, a lot of patients that we treat with severe depression, the anxiety disorders, trauma history, um, they also have underlying OCD. And one of the things that's been really, really impressive to me is how that seems to be uh, something that has helped a great deal going through these infusions, even for those other diagnoses, that these intrusive thoughts, as you as you mentioned, seem to really wane, and um, patients, the, the symptoms that they're dealing with, the uh, related to the OCD, seem to improve in a really relatively quick period of time. Yeah, yeah, that, that's something that's I, I think really interesting. That, that's great that you're able to see. You're kind of able to do like a, an ongoing study of seeing, you know, when people come in for one thing you can observe like what other things improve. Absolutely. Yeah. When we first started the practice, you know, most of the original studies using ketamine, intravenous ketamine were done on patients with quote unquote treatment resistant depression. And um, when we started the practice, the, the, um, the scope of patients that we were treating was much more narrow than it is right now. Um, just by, by having treated patients with treatment-resistant depression and coexisting anxiety disorders, and usually there's some history of significant trauma. Um, and again, OCD and the, the, the branches of the tree just keep getting wider, seeing how these other symptoms seem to uh, wane and uh, improve um, sort of has allowed us to, to keep widening the scope of patients that we're starting to treat with ketamine to see if it can help when when other treatments or other um, whatever modes of therapy have not helped in the past yeah it's yeah it's really um incredible just as you know and i think i think you're just going to keep discovering more and more and that, now i think the thing that we were going to talk about today was related to to treating suicidality and i i think that, that there was even a in an email that I got from your practice, like a description of a case of, of a of someone who had had, you know, positive results of 
you know, they were suicidal and were treated with ketamine and, and had a very good result. Um, sure. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about uh, ketamine infusion or ketamine treatment for suicidality? Sure, I think, I think the case that you're alluding to was a, a young woman about 40 years old came to the practice um, with issues related to severe depression, suicidal ideations, um, and I, the, the, the main issue was her, with her was she had been diagnosed with a severe chronic pain condition. She was diagnosed um, years earlier with a condition known as syringomyelia and also multiple sclerosis. And she was struggling with severe chronic pain all day, every day, 10 out of 10. Um, she was having trouble ambulating. She had extreme weakness in her upper extremities and lower extremities. Um, and as a result of that, she was suffering with severe depression and suicidal thoughts, uh, intrusive thoughts. Um, so it was, it was really a matter of we treat patients also of IV ketamine infusions where the protocol is completely different, um, patients with certain chronic neuropathic pain syndromes. There's a, there's a, a, not all pain conditions will respond to ketamine but conditions that have a large central pain component compared to a peripheral neuropathic pain component. And uh, there is an entity or a condition known as CRPS or complex regional pain syndrome that, um, that a, a portion of the population will, will struggle with. And it often goes un undiagnosed and patients will describe symptoms of pain and very often they'll have other diagnoses as well. Uh, and when she came to us, it seemed to me that um, trying to deal with her pain condition uh, would help a lot, not only with hopefully with the pain, but also with her mental, her mental state at that point. And I was not clear initially as to whether she would be the patient that would respond to ketamine. But after we started talking and I examined her, it became clear to me that she most likely had a diagnosis of CRPS or complex regional pain syndrome which had not been diagnosed earlier. And a lot of times um, patients can develop CRPS um, from a pre-existing condition. We see a lot of patients who've been diagnosed with Lyme disease and a large portion of them will uh, end up with a diagnosis of CRPS. A lot of autoimmune issues sometimes uh, can, can result in a diagnosis of CRPS, but generally it's some sort of trauma, usually to an extremity, usually after surgery or you know, an injury or, or even a bug bite. In her case, it seems that this was sort of uh, a result of prior surgery related to these other conditions and had it gone undiagnosed. CRPS is one of the conditions that responds extremely well to, to intravenous ketamine in relatively large doses. So um, I use it oftentimes, CRPS is a diagnosis of exclusion you know, you're not going to see it on x-rays. You're not going to see it on, on lab tests. It's really a diagnosis based on, on history, physical exam, and certain, certain characteristics or manifestations that go along with it. Um, and she, she fit most of the criteria for CRPS. So we began, um, we began treating her with uh, higher doses of ketamine. And lo and behold, her pain level dropped almost immediately after the first infusion or two. Um, her allodynia, which is a very common manifestation of C uh, CRPS, which is extreme skin sensitivity, even to very light touch, um, 
her upper extremities were somewhat discolored. They were purplish intermittently. Um, she had some swelling in her upper extremities. Temperature changes or temperature uh, differences between the areas that are affected and the, the areas that aren't is there's a differentiation there. Almost immediately, these, these corresponding symptoms seem to improve as well as her overall pain level. She started sleeping at night, which she hadn't been doing before. And um, just, it was, almost, it was almost miraculous how quickly and how significant the improvement was. In addition, almost immediately, we do treat patients with suicidal ideations and major depression, um, which is a different protocol than treating patients chronic pain, but almost in the same time frame, the depression seemed to lift. She had, she described a feeling of well-being that she hadn't experienced, you know, in at least 10 years, um, almost getting the elephant off my chest. The anxiety seemed to uh, abate quite a bit, um, and the suicidal ideations completely, completely uh, went away, almost immediately. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, they're trying to figure out the protocols are completely different. When we're, when we're treating a patient uh, purely from a, from a pain standpoint, I will use ketamine uh, as a diagnostic tool as much as a uh, therapeutic tool. Oftentimes it's, it's not as clear cut as we would like trying to figure out a diagnosis. So know that if a patient does respond to ketamine, there's likely uh, there's likely a, a large central component to the pain. And what I mean by that is that the pain almost emanates in the spinal cord of the brain, as opposed to an actual injury affecting a peripheral nerve. So um, when the pain that patients come in with and what they describe is out of proportion to anything that we can put our fingers on, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's getting worse instead of getting better. The presumption is that there's probably a large central pain component to it. And, by administering ketamine, we can oftentimes sort of narrow in on it. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, when you talk about that um, complex regional pain syndrome, which, uh, you know, they used to call RSD, and, you know, and people, I mean, in, in addition to being in this intractable pain, you know, for years they couldn't get relief. You know, they might show up to a pain clinic, the pain clinic says, well, where's your your low back MRI. And it's like, well, there's no MRI. There's nothing you can see. And, you know, they say, well, you're, you know, you must be making it up because we can't test anything, you know, just because you had a crush injury or whatever, you know, like, you know, there's usually not, not a test to prove the person has it. And, you know, and so they go, you know, not only are they in pain, but like extreme pain, uh, nobody believes them. And of course you're going to get depressed and, and a lot of people get suicidal and, um, you know, and then, you know, with some of these conditions, you know, that, that for years, doctors would tell patients that's not real, because I remember that with fibromyalgia, that all the doctors are saying that this is a made up condition, nobody really has it. And then suddenly a big pharma comes out with a treatment indicated for fibromyalgia, and suddenly everybody believes it now. You know, it's right. like, what happened? You know, just uh, billions of dollars got thrown at it, and there's some, whatever it was, an SSRI or some kind of neurotransmitter type reuptake inhibitor thing. And and, and now it's a real condition with a diagnosis code and we're all, we all believe it now. Um, you know, so, so the, yeah, it, it is interesting how the medical, uh, the healthcare industry is kind of controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. Oh, yeah. And here you are, you're providing a treatment that 
it, it's it's off label. So so you have some flexibility that you know you're not at the mercy of you know has it been approved for some you know has the pharmaceutical industry blessed it with uh, you know saying this is you know it, it's just it's great that now people you know in the old days you know you can't go to a pain clinic because it's it's opioids it's uh it, there's a stigma attached to that and of course they are, we now know they're much more addicting than we thought they were before um but ketamine is i think it's been around for like 50 years now we we know it's safe um and we know like how it works and what it does and and you're an expert in it you've been doing it for 30 years and now we're seeing that these things that people had nowhere to turn before have some something they can do for it now Absolutely, for sure. There's actually, just as an aside, I don't know whether you've seen it or heard of it. There's a wonderful documentary that just came out um, related to ketamine and treating patient, a patient, specific patient with complex regional pain syndrome with ketamine and pretty much everything, all the struggles and hurdles you just described. It just came out on Netflix. It's called um, Take care of Maya, M-A-Y-A, and it is absolutely wonderful. So if you get a chance, I, I would highly recommend taking a look at that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to look at that. Um, and uh, you know, and, that, and that's another great thing is that ketamine ha has, uh, you know, all, all the benefits people are talking about these up and coming psychedelic treatments. We already have something, ketamine, that does all the things that, that we're hoping for with like psilocybin and some of the other ones, but it's Absolutely. been FDA approved forever. You know, it's well understood. You know, the, um, you know the research has been done already. Um, and uh, you know, so so rather than someone waiting around for you know or going to try something that that's risky, you know, here's something that that you know an anesthesiologist. Yeah, yeah, and and um, it, it's it's incredible. And can you talk a little a little bit about the mechanisms? You know, like they, you know, there's a mechanism of something to do with the neurotransmitters glutamate and GABA and an anti-inflammatory yeah. effect and also dendritic growth or neurogenesis. I mean, you know, so there's some really interesting mechanisms. 100%. Um, ketamine itself has been around, as you said, for about 50 years. It's been studied extensively uh, for its antidepressant effects over the last 20 years. It's been researched, it's been studied. Um, and the reason that it's been shown to be effective in treatment resistant patients is that the thought is that the mechanism of action is completely different than the SSRIs, SNRIs, mood stabilizers. What the ketamine is thought to do is really initiate uh, a series of chemical reactions in the brain after it binds to these NMDA receptors, um, which cause a flood of glutamate to be produced. The glutamate then binds to another receptor in, in parts of the brain um, and the ultimate response is to release a, a neurotransmitter or a, a peptide bond called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which then, as you said, uh, induces a strengthening of the dendritic spines, which are the connections between these neurons, proliferation of neurons in these mood centers of the brain. And these physical or hardwired changes that the ketamine induces um, are thought to be what seem to correspond to a relatively uh, fast or rapid improvement in overall mood, lifting of depression, easing of anxiety. Um, so we're looking more towards the physical changes that it causes as opposed to trying to increase serotonin levels, dopamine levels, norepinephrine levels, which most of the, um, the oral medications are sort of geared towards doing. And these, these physical changes that ketamine is thought to induce um, happen 
very quickly, you know, within two to six hours after an infusion, these, these, um, these changes are starting to take place. So when we are treating a patient with a mood disorder, we're not having to wait four weeks, five weeks, six weeks to see if it's even going to work. And if it doesn't, we've got to start with another medication and, and wait another couple of weeks to see if that's effective. With ketamine, you know, if you have a suicidal patient, um, you know, you don't necessarily have weeks to wait to see if the medication is going to, to take hold. We'll get calls from psychiatrists who want to refer a patient who's you know, suicidal, who's got a plan, who's really in intent on, 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 on following through. And they basically say to me, we're going to, we'd like to try this before we have to, you know, admit the patient for inpatient treatment. Um, and see if this helps. And, and very often, the majority of the time, it does. And so that time factor can be extremely valuable in these kinds of cases. Yeah. So if, if someone wanted to get started with this um, and, um, you know, they want to plan for it, you know, they want to plan, like, you know, what do I have to do? Because, I, I, you know, I know that, like, if you get a ketamine infusion, you shouldn't plan to do any more activities for the rest of the day or probably 24 hours you know, as far as driving or working or anything like that. And, you know, that, you know, so, so you have to plan for like a day off at least. And um, like how often, like how many infusions would somebody usually get like for, you know, typically like how often and how many would they, need, would they likely need? Sure. So the protocol I follow is to do six initial infusions and we try to do them within a two to three week time frame. So the majority of patients will come to the office either twice a week over three weeks or three times a week over two weeks. The infusions last a minimum of about an hour. So when I say a minimum of an hour, we plan to do it over an hour. The majority of patients that go through ketamine, and ketamine is in a class of drugs known as dissociative, dissociative drug, so it is a mind-altering drug, especially at higher doses. But even at lower doses, patients do experience mind-altering effects to it. Um, the majority of patients find the experience extremely warm and nurturing and transformative and all of their questions are answered. They, they feel that they're benefiting um, from the experience as well as the actual physical changes that, I'm, that I was discussing before as far as being what the research has shown to be the ultimate reason behind um, ketamine's effectiveness to treat these mood disorders. However, there are patients um, who don't like that feeling of any kind of loss of control and their mind sort of going off in different directions that they can't control. Uh, and for those patients, we're very careful to, um, to make sure that they're able to tolerate the infusion okay. If I was to give you, let's say 50 milligrams of ketamine over one hour or the same 50 milligrams over two hours, over two hours, you're probably going to feel more or less like you feel right now. There's going to be very little of any mind-altering aspect to it, very little dissociation. Um, but for me, the ultimate response is going to be the same. It's going to be the 50 milligrams of ketamine that's working on those parts of the brain to elicit these, these improvements. So patients that don't want to go through uh, any kind of um, mind-altering dissociation or anything that they don't feel comfortable with, they don't have to. And there's a lot of Misinformation out there. If patients do a lot of research, they'll say, "Wow, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't meet God, or I didn't, I wasn't flying through the sky with, you know, watching rainbows." Um, and I have to tell them that they don't, you know, you don't have to 
go through that experience in order to get the benefit from this. It's, it's really just the ketamine either doing what we're not doing, what, what hopefully we're, we're hoping it does do. Yeah, and uh, now someone, and, and so you said you, you start with six treatments that might be around an hour or more. Um, like how often would they come in? Like, would it be like once a week? Uh, generally two to three times a week. Oh, okay. We, we've done them for patients coming from further away who don't have the time luxury. We've done them on consecutive days. Uh, and we've done one a week over six weeks or over four weeks. But I think in a perfect world, um, trying to do these infusions within a two to three week time frame most likely results in, in a better a better outcome the response. Okay, so yeah, so if a person is able to, you know, if they're working, if they can schedule a couple weeks off, and, and get it done and then and then there's lasting benefits after that and in many cases or most cases if they are able to get they get through these six treatments in, in a couple of weeks um you know unlike you know the traditional antidepressants it's not something you have to keep doing every day or, or, or frequently no. um just as a sort of an aside we do have patients who um who will come after work and do an infusion and yeah you can expect to be a little bit more lethargic and a little bit you know, maybe cloudier in your head for a couple of hours after. And we, we tell patients you can't drive for 24 hours. But for the most part, by the next day, the majority of patients are pretty much back to baseline and they're able to go to work or go to sleep. Um, so there, there's kind of different ways to, um, to handle the scheduling and, and that kind of thing. Okay. So a person doesn't necessarily have to plan for, for two weeks of doing nothing. They could probably just continue with their normal life and just, you know, do the treatment in the evening. That, that that sounds good. Um, uh, I mean, it's not, you know, it's 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 a, you know, now also I, I, how do you feel about? Um, and this is a whole different topic, but um, uh, medical cannabis, you know, which is like a, a whole different thing. It's it's not, um, not it's legal and not legal at the same time. So like doctors don't prescribe it, but doctor at least in Florida, doctors are involved with it. You know, with recommending it or getting people registered. Like, how do you feel about that generally? Well, I, I'm actually a proponent of it in, in, in many instances. And we have a large number of our ketamine patients who have medical cannabis cards. Um, for the types of patients that we treat, sleep is often an issue, a major issue. And when patients or people don't sleep, it affects every aspect of their lives. If they're in chronic pain, chronic pain is worse. If they're depressed and anxious, it makes the depression and the anxiety worse. Um, and many of them have been on medications to try to help with sleep and nothing's really, really done the trick or they don't want to be on Xanax or Clonopin for the rest of their lives to, to help them sleep because of the tolerance and the need to keep increasing the dose. Um, and I have found that cannabis can be extremely helpful for helping with sleep. And I think that for, for the right patients um, and the right routes of administration, um, and for certain patients who deal with, you know, some anxiety at times, I think that medical cannabis can be, can be a real benefit to, to a lot of these people, as well as patients in certain, with certain chronic pain conditions where they've been relying on opioids in the past and other more addictive type medications. Medical cannabis, I think for a lot of them has helped transition them off of these other medications, more addictive medications, and helped know, preserve their liver and, and kidneys uh, 
better than using a lot of these other medications. So I think under the right supervision for the right patients, medical cannabis can be an extremely important tool for a lot of these patients. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed because I've I've worked with a lot of people who are tapering off of either benzodiazepines or other psychiatric medications that it helps with the tapering process and withdrawal and, and insomnia, you know, like you're saying. And, and and it seems like it's usually the I I don't know what, what the big difference is, but the, the gummies, you know, where I guess like where you know you're taking it orally and you know exactly what the milligrams are. Um, you know, I remember a patient, she asked me, is it okay if I take a quarter of a gummy to help me get to sleep when she couldn't get to sleep? And it was definitely a lot, as far as I, I was aware, a lot safer than pretty much anything I could prescribe to her. Um, 100% so, agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it seems like that there could be some complementary benefit of a person uh, who, who goes for ketamine treatment, but also is able to benefit from medical cannabis if they're open to that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Stephen Reichbeck, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Um, and uh, yeah, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in learning about how to, how to schedule a, a series of treatments or learn more about ketamine treatment? Sure. Um, I'm here every day during the week, eight to five, eight to six. The number here is 941-213-4444. Um, I'm happy to speak to, to anybody if they have any questions relating to ketamine treatment, if they're a candidate, if they've just got questions out of curiosity. Um, we have a website with a lot of resources, a lot of information. Uh, the website is info at findpainrelief.com. That's also a good resource, something to look through if you're interested in any of this. Um, so yeah, that, that, those are the, the ways to get in touch if, if patients would like. Oh, perfect. Uh, Dr. Reichbeck, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure meeting with you again.